Welcome to my laboratory, Dr. Dinneman. I have welcomed you as a foremost expert of all matters scientifical to get your help on my latest and greatest creation yet. Yes, thank you. Uh, I, I'm very happy to be introduced to uh, this, uh, these American robotics that you have spoken so passionately about in our communique. Uh, yes. Well... I do just need a few questions answered from you first before I can unveil the most perfect creation. Um, first question. On a scale of 1 to 10, would you describe yourself as hot or not? Ooh. Well, it, this is a, a most confusing line of questioning, but I, I, I do confess that I, I think of myself as rather hot. Mm-hmm. Hot to trot, more, most, most like. I see uh, in what way is this, uh, in this particular oh. <laughs> question, relevant? Or? Oh, no, no peeking. I scientist only reveals at the mm. end. Now, Perhaps there's uh, some sort of uh, some sort of ego-enhanced laser outputs that could be used in our... There's no peer review in mad science. Now tell yes. me, <clears throat> this is a multiple-choice question. If you were at the mall and you saw one of your friends hitting on the guy you like, would you A, go up and throw your milkshake in her face, B, offer your own arm for him to loop around, or C, go storm off in a huff? This is very difficult. It has been quite some years since I courted anybody at the mall, Uh, but it is multiple choice, and I think the milkshake one is uh, probably... I would not do so because I do not know if this person is lactose intolerant. I do not want to be brought up on charges. And as everybody knows, you eliminate one choice in the multiple choice. Uh, you have pretty good odds to get... Let's, let's go with B, arbitrarily speaking. Did I get it right? Even if I didn't, uh, yes, the process yes, this was will, correct. This will all go into our databanks. Uh, this is the yes, final man. question. I still have no idea in what oh. capacity these are. <laughs> oh, you There's will no... soon. Well, very, very well. Now, I'm very highly recommended. If there was a meteor coming toward the Earth at 300,000 meters per second, and yes. it had a mass of 500 million kilograms, how much of, and you had to launch a rocket at it using only the materials in your garage, would mm. you give up and just go to the movies? What? The movies? Please answer the question as written. Well, uh, I will... Uh, I, I, hmm, what's playing? Um, uh, uh, the Terminator. Because, ooh. I do have a fondness for the Terminator. Uh, but I say Star Wars or bust. Oh. Uh, I think I, I think I go for the Meteor. All right, well, it is my pleasure to reveal my greatest creation, this Cosmo quiz. It says that you're a Samantha. A Samantha? I thought for sure I'd be a Vicky. Do you know any of the characters on uh, Sex in the City? Are you familiar with those names? <laughs> oh no, I just picked a random one. I also picked one with a V, so it was un- un- it was unclear with my accent whether or not I was saying I was sure I was a wiki. <laughs> which is like a, wo- a wiki. which is like a wookie but smaller. I don't know why I have Star Wars on the brain. If if I think about it, you as my brother are just a wiki of my inside jokes. Wait, are you calling me a Vicky of your inside wokes? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, the wokes. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
It's fine. <laughs> this is uh, you there know, was there right was before. there was Valerie. Wait, Samantha. Samantha was the only character, right? Uh, I feel in, like one of them started with a K. In Sex and the City. Yeah. There's Carrie, and those are the only two. <laughs> I feel like it was only Samantha. <laughs> okay, what about the Golden Girls? There's Blanche. Oh, Blanche. Yes, <laughs> obviously <laughs> yes, there's Blanche. Blanche. Of I remember because that's what you do to turnips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Speaking of which, I just started watching Food Wars because, like, I don't know, <laughs> talking to you more and more, it's just my, my tastes have gotten hornier and hornier, and this is how it that this is how it comes out. Yeah, that happens to a lot of people. I wouldn't worry about it. It's so frustrating because I'm at a point in my life where I'm just like, I, I get enough horny in my other anime. I just want to see how the food's prepared. <laughs> I'm going through, like, I'm doing, I'm doing, like, the classic 30-somethings, like, I'm tired of having sex sold to me. Time for Great British Bake Off. The, sure, just sure. give me that. Yeah. Yes, that's all I want. All you are I want aware is that, that you can just watch the Great British Bake Off, right? Uh, but it doesn't have it doesn't have sexy teens though. Like. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, this issue again. <laughs> I have a I have a barrier for entry, man. Well, Ben, I, there's, if there's you certain like, standards to adhere to. If you like sexy teens, can I offer you one that's made out of blocks and other assorted uh, fundamental shapes? <laughs> I, I'd be insulted if you didn't. <laughs> With more rivets than you can handle. <laughs> more rivets than uh, than can than can choke a baby. Wait. Well, that's fine. Welcome, everybody, to the Carton Cast. My name is Ben. And my name is Zane. And we are the podcast that reviews old cartoons to see what we can think of them as adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Zane, today, what are we watching? Well, welcome to my life at the Carton Cast, first off. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are watching my life as a teenage robot. Also known as Teen Specter Gadget. <laughs> Teen Specter Phantom. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty close to Danny Phantom, is it not? It, listen, this yeah. show has so many influences, and I think it, oh, yeah. it combines them very well. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to, to talk about this. So tell me the production. My Life as a Teenage Robot ran from 2003 to 2005 on Nickelodeon with a canceled third season, which aired on Nicktoons in 2008. It was based on a short in the Oh Yeah cartoons block in 1999. Uh, this is also where we saw things originally uh, like Fairly Odd Parents and Chalk Zone. Yeah, it's a, and you know, uh, th- those two really exhibit like the kind of hit and miss philosophy that uh, oh yeah cartoons exhibits but I, I i really like that um that that this that this uh this metric for kind of these fast tests these fast market d- driven tests uh, like that are done on on the platform to yeah. kind of figure out what works that that's always a, a design philosophy that really works for me because you know it, it gets around that problem of like kind of hyper crafting something based on market exec research yeah, and, and it kind of gets gives them, right from the tap. It gives them a chance to refine their ideas for a wider audience. So this was created by Rob Renzetti, who directed a number of uh, shows, you know, like Dexter's Lab, and it was produced by Frederator. And he, also Powerpuff Girls and Samurai Jack, which yeah, I want to point out. Because, yeah, so he, uh, he was actually roommates with Gendy Tartakovsky at art school. <laughs> yeah, at, at the California Institute of Arts, and it shows, man. <laughs> oh um, yeah, you know, there's there's all of those shows have this tendency to use thick outlines, dramatic lighting. Um, and and this interesting kind of art style where the the, the backgrounds are pretty plain, but the direction really kind of um, helps the the medium pop. Not as well in this one as I think in in the other shows I had mentioned, but there's a lot of similarities that we should definitely bring. bring yeah, around there, at some it's point. it's a very stylized show, and that's probably what we're going to be uh, focusing on. Um, 
it, originally Renzetti was like, oh, I want to make this cool show called Mina and the Count. It's about a girl and her vampire best friend. And the executives were like, we do not care at all. So he's like, okay, okay. It sounds like trash. <laughs> and later it was made into trash starring Adam Sandler. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen Hotel Transylvania. I think it, it's probably pretty good, right? I don't know. I I think I think they were more just like, yeah, Castlevania or robust guys. Come back, come back when it's come back when it's sexier. Yeah, yeah. So he decided come back okay, when it's sexier and drunker. What if it's a show about a girl and her robot boyfriend? And then he was like, no, no, no. just a girl robot. Yeah, that's too many variables. <laughs> too many. Let's, let's condense. Too, too similar. They're gonna they're gonna look at it and then be like, vampire robot. You're you're really not stretching the boundaries as much as you think you are. Yeah, it's a pretty Mad Libs approach to you know kids cartoon programming. Is like, what if there was a robot in it? Okay, how about mm-hmm. a pirate? Well, what about a zombie? Um, <laughs> this was the early two thousands. That was yes. the only <laughs> conversation people were having. Yes, uh, I think that the the decision though is a good one. Mm-hmm. The, the notion of a girl with a robot boyfriend, I imagine, would not have a lot of broad appeal simply because normal girl doing normal girl things, unfortunately, does not hit the cartoon kind of target demographic. Although that's been changing in recent years, and, and by 2000, there were probably enough girls kind of watching Nick that that would be not as huge of a deal. This was the age of like stuff like As Told by Ginger as well, which yeah. was pretty popular. Well, this is really but interesting it, as, yeah, it, as a turning point, because if you look at a list of original Nickelodeon programs, everything, pretty much everything before this is slice of life. And for a good amount of time directly after this, there's a huge shift to focus on action shows. Nickelodeon uh, cited that this, this, this show is kind of the start of a push toward the action-adventure archetype, mm-hmm. um, leading into such things such as Danny Phantom and Avatar The Last Airbender being green, greenlit. Sure. So, I mean, that, that obviously a lot of good influence from that. Yeah, moving from character-driven to plot-driven uh, narratives. Yeah, which which does a little bit work to this thing's detriment because I, I, I think that the characters are not plotted out super well, but um, the action does make up for it respectively. Well, I, I think it's similar to the art style. You know, it's simple, it's stylized, and it's used effectively. The, the it is, it is. I I couldn't come. I couldn't help coming to this, comparing it unfavorably to Dexter's Lab, um, mm-hmm. among a couple of other things that we had <laughs> mentioned. You know, Powerpuff and, and Samurai Jack. But I, I'd be interested to hear how you think about it. So, yeah, I, uh, I think that's fair, and I think that might just uh, you know part of that is the uh, sort of different philosophies between Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. The you know Cartoon Network tending to be a bit more experimental. Yeah, yeah, generally. Um, g- generally, I mean, like, yeah, the, the the whole, oh, yeah, cartoons, the Toonami block, they were definitely willing to take a few risks doing some stuff that wasn't already proven to sell well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that the, is true. The selling well became an issue with this show. So compared to a lot of other shows, you know, it took a long time to produce. Uh, Renzetti really wanted to not rush production just for its own sake. And so, uh, you know, they they couldn't really build up momentum in terms of uh, getting people interested in watching it because they would only have a new episode like every month or so. Uh, And that's hard to build. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, even though the marketing execs really, really still like the show, the the sales just weren't there. Like the viewership just wasn't there and it Mm -hmm. got canceled after three seasons. I tried to come back to this with kind of fresh eyes uh, as the kind of person who would really delve into Dexter's Lab and stuff like that. Um, remember when we were talking about Dexter's Lab, we we had this, there was like this 
this firm line between the early seasons and the later seasons, the, mm-hmm. the early seasons feeling like they had a lot more craft and care to them. The later ones feeling a little bit like zombie Simpsons, yes. you know, like it, it had the same assets, but like that just the heart was gone. Sure. That this, this feels like it's a little bit further on the zombie Simpsons side of things where they, they, they have a formula figured out, but it feels like there's not a ton of craft to it. I don't know if you had a similar feeling or not. See, I, th- I felt maybe a little more in the opposite, where I thought that the formula was effective and they put their emphasis on the craft and the, the way things look and the way that things are um, coming to light to the audience, you know, because... Hmm. Uh, it's recycling a ton of plots from old B-movies, from sci-fi tropes, etc. But it's doing it in the context of this, you know, uh, robot who wants to be a normal human girl. Um, kind of combining those two genres in a way that I thought was very effective, but I agree. Pretty formulaic. It's, it's pretty formulaic, and there's something that I feel was missing from... Because, like, this is not a character-driven show, as you had said. It's a plot-driven show, and that, that feels like it... You know, that was also kind of true in Dexter's Lab. Yeah. Yes, they had characters. They weren't consistent. Dee Dee's personality changed. She may have friends or may not, depending on what episode it is. Um, you, you know that that's all pretty. That's all pretty uh, pretty standard for that. But the, the characters had more charm than in this. Like I, I was missing like a charm factor in these characters. Like I I just didn't I just didn't really like them that much. Yeah, I mean. Jenny is it can be pretty one note even if she's like very fun and then the other Jenny's characters fine. the other characters are just kind of like kind of too normal to be in a cartoon about this a little bit um I, I have a couple more intricate difficulties with it but but let's let's set up the plot before we kind of go down that role mm-hmm. because I think the main relationship relationship in this show does require some plot setup yes so I don't actually know the cosmology of this, but end result, Miss Frizzle, after 20-odd years, creates a (laughs) robot daughter and, uh, like, is programmed to save the world. This is from the era of cartoons where you didn't need to make any sense. Like, you didn't have to justify what you were doing. You just set, you just started from, and this is where we're at. Mm -hmm. And what we're at is that there's this old scientist living in this kind of abandoned kind of spooky, you know, Scooby-Doo-esque mansion. Um, and uh, she creates a robot daughter to safeguard humanity and treats her like a safeguard of humanity, but somehow installed her with both human-like intelligence and teenage girl tendencies. And the, the teenage girl side of her just wants to be a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. It's a very familiar, you know, I, I am a teenager with exceptional abilities yeah and and that the 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 contrast between what i am able to do versus what i want my life to be like the the spider-man the spider-man 2 paradigm Mm -hmm. of that whole thing um is is pretty clear yeah but that's pretty much it she she tries to navigate both saving the planet and also uh being a teenage girl sometimes those uh those 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 dual natures come through sometimes it's it's more just like and now we're doing this sci-fi trope, follow us, which yeah. is fine, <laughs> which is fine, honestly. And the way that the, uh, you know, the show is split up into two episodes per episode, 11 minute kind of kind of deal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the general plot is that Jenny feels like she's missing out on some aspect of humanity. So, like, people are talking about their dreams, and she's like, what is a dream? I sleep, and then I just power back on. And they're like, oh, well, there are these fantasy realms. And she's like, I want to dream. Mom, make it so that I can dream. Right, and that that's the part that leans into the teen girl side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they develop a way for her to enjoy her humanity, but it ends up getting in the way of her super heroics. That's that's part that's sometimes how the plot un, unfolds, and that that I think is the more interesting one because it has more dynamic between the two kind of focal characters. There, mm-hmm. what is less interesting to me, but still a fine thing for the genre, is when uh, is when just and then sci-fi happened, and then that's kind of like where we start, you know? Like, sure. And, and then she saved a an alien race from a uh, from a comet that was going to destroy them, and now they treat her like a god. Yeah. You know, like that's you know, there's not much teen girl going on there. Right. You'll you'll usually get one or the other or or both in the whole o- over the course of the whole episode. Right. And I think they both work. Like there there isn't a I do this think... is not plot or character driven. Like this is not plot yeah. or character driven. It doesn't really require an intense, you know, in incision into the personality of a robot what is a teenage girl. I think that's more interesting. Yeah, I think in general that works better. But the format the format allows for either one. Yeah, I, I think her efforts to become human add a bit more pathos to to those episodes. Um, They're certainly more interesting. I was reminded a little bit of the Jimmy Neutron formula, where mm. like, oh, he, it's been a while. You'll have to refresh my memory. You know, all I remember was it looking disgusting. He he makes an invention. It ends up ruining things. He has to fix it. Oh, sure. Like, kind of like the, the, the solution is worse than the, the problem. The yeah. cure is worse than a disease. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. The difference being that she's just trying to enjoy her life, like you say, in the Spider-Man 2 sense. But the problems arise and her, you know, her efforts to be normal interfere with that. Because the threats aren't directly caused by her, it's not quite as annoying as it was in Jimmy Neutron. Um, and, and it's, you know, that sort of tug of war really speaks to me. That's okay. I, I think it just uh, is is a little bit monster of the week ish when it when it does that. Like with Jimmy Neutron, it, it was consistently a. It all kind of led back to this whole narrative on brains are not the most important thing if you're trying to be a good person. Like there's also the arrogance issue to to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really get that here. We just kind of get this sort of dancing around this notion that. A normal person cannot also be an exceptional person, which which is also fine. It just uh, is a little bit more. They they kind of pick it up and drop it as they as they feel like it. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like again. It, it's 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 action driven, not character driven. So you don't get that really consistent theme yeah. with <laughs> well, every breath. How how does the rest of the town and her peers feel about her? Well, it depends on the episode. Depends on the episode, baby. Mm-hmm. Which is fine because, like, and and I'll get into this later when we get into like the animation and, and music and sound. But the one-off episodes that don't really comment upon anything are still like totally watchable. You know, kind of Dexter's Lab sort of fair. Mm-hmm. No, nothing like remember that episode of Dexter's Lab where he creates a robotic parrot, and the parrot just like follows the dad around and the mom around and like <laughs> just get. I, I can't even really describe it without sounding like a madman. And like this is Dexter's Lab. Like there's very little going on that's at all related to Dexter or, or speaks to kind of a consistent theme. Yeah. yeah. But it's still very funny because it's got really good comedic timing. It's got, you know, pretty pretty good, like, animation and and musical cues and and, and sound effects to, to go with it. And just, like, 
you know, the, the, the pieces are there. Yeah, and part of that comes from the way that they crafted the show, which is, you know, the people in the different aspects of this show, you know, the writing, the storyboarding, the animation, um, they were all given a lot of independence and control. So the reason why it there's shows. so many background gags um, is because the people who spend all day drawing the backgrounds were allowed to put in whatever they wanted <laughs> and uh, and they could contribute dialogue and, and punch things up. And there was a lot of communication. So you don't have the sort of uh, conflicting identity that you do sometimes in shows that try that. Right. It, 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 this was not created by a single person. And that does show based on the episode to episode approach. What does what is consistent is is the very clear, you know, uh, cues that it takes from a bunch of other Gandhi Tartakovsky Robert and Zetti creations, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is like uh, all when you're looking at a Powerpuff eye, you know, for a good <laughs> amount of this. That's what it is. That's a that's a Powerpuff girl eye. The Powerpuff uh, right Puff Girls is an interesting uh, parallel because they also have that sort of uh, dichotomy of being normal and being heroes. But because oh, yeah. they're so much younger, that tension never really becomes strong enough to be as interesting. I think that's a fundamentally different. It's a different character space to kind of roam around in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it it can be consistent because, you know, superhero versus normal person doesn't really need to reside in an age. But when you're in the teen era era of like a lot of identity crises and caring like so to much about what other people think being in the realm of high school where you're trying to figure out where you fit like uh, that does resonate a bit harder um, but you you are also a bit more constrained, right? Yeah, you can't yeah, just yeah. you can't you can't take an episode to go fight hillbillies because they didn't see them as actual people <laughs> <laughs> in one of the weirder aspects of Powerpuff Girls. Uh, what, what do we want to... Let's talk about who, Jenny. <laughs> who, who the villains in Powerpuff Girls need to be? All right, well, how about a monkey with an exposed brain? Good. How about a, a group of uh, sickly teens? Weird. Okay, how about a hillbilly? Kind of wrong. How about the devil who is transgender? Guys, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What is happening? So yeah, let's talk about Jenny. Um, This is voiced by Janice Koei. Koei? I I don't know how to pronounce this name. Yeah, that's right. Koei? Okay. Um, And that's uh, Guy from Captain Planet is the thing that I know her from, which is I did not realize that's that's quite a uh, that's quite a pedigree. Like that's that's a while ago. Uh, As well as the twins Kim and Cam from Class of 3000, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, and and I think that this is this is this is a pretty good character. Th- this is, I mean, definitely the best character uh, mm. in this show. Mm. We'll mm-hmm. see. Um, I like her a lot. She's she's bubbly. She's curious. She she understands her place in and like her role in society and how much stronger she is. But like, she still wants to experience life as a human and and. Seeing how that tension drives her actions is is uh, I thought really well done. Yeah, that this is this is a good character, especially because you know it is it is uh, they they have made a they have made a uh, I think it's it's stated as like a gynoid, which is like a android, but not an and a, a woman, you know, but but a woman. Um, yeah, so so this is this is a fembot, which I think isn't just an easier way to say that. Um, <laughs> and I I like how they lean into the whole power, but also very girly thing. Like I got some shades of Cyber Six in this. Oh yeah, where like the the power and the girl parts, uh, are aren't on the same axis. Like the girl parts and the superhero part are certainly conflicting territory, 
but you never get the sense that her uh, her power comes at the cost of her femininity. It's more like at the cost of her humanity. Yeah, definitely, because it, it's it's not really a factor in how to, she saves the world, you know? No, and that's you, a really good character trait. <laughs> Despite what the German language might tell you, you don't, you don't need to gender a ray gun, you know? <laughs> it's, it's I not... mean, sometimes it helps. Sometimes <laughs> it's useful shorthand. <laughs> but I, I, I do like the... You know, be- because it doesn't directly comment upon her power level, mm-hmm. I like the character trait of, like, being pretty into, like, the being a teenage girl. I really like her intro, where she's got, like, a bunch of, like, uh, she's being talked to like a person would talk to a robot, because that's the dynamic of her relationship with her mom. Yeah. A- and it shows her room is just, like, there's a bunch of posters of boy bands, and there's, like, teenage rebelliousness. Yeah. Very good. You were built for one purpose, to protect the planet Earth. Unless you're out saving the world, you should stay in your room. You must avoid unnecessary contact with the human population, especially teenagers. Do I make myself clear, XJ9? Jenny. Uh, what? Jenny! Call me Jenny! I changed my name to Jenny, remember? <sighs> and I loved, like, her mom was just like, XJ9, like, that's her designated serial number, and she's like, uh-huh. I'm, I'm Jenny, I want to be a girl, I've given myself a name, please respect that. That is so good, yeah. for, like, a few reasons. First of all, because the mom insists upon calling her this, specifically when, you know, she's upset with her, kind of like a James Tiberius Kirk, yeah, yeah, what yeah. have you done? <laughs> I was. Hmm, did we ever actually see an episode of Captain Kirk getting mom? <laughs> which which Star Trek did you see? <laughs> I did I dream that? Oh, but I, I like I like that uh, Star you know, Trek that babies. Jenny does. <laughs> ben, there's money here. <laughs> I like that Jenny exhibits like the rebelliousness of choosing their own name. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's I don't. It's not Carlton. I go by C Note now. You know that kind of like that first Prince of Bel Air <laughs> weird little episode there. <laughs> um, but that's like. That's true to life, you know? There, there's clearly conflict there. There's, you know, some sullen rebelliousness, mm-hmm. even though she does clearly dote on her her mom, like, hangs on her mom's uh, designs on her. Yeah. She she desires approval from the authority figure in her life. Yeah, and I also got some shades of, like, helicopter parenting as well. Like, I, I think that's the strongest theme in this, is, like, the the dangers of trying to make your child exceptional at the cost of their maybe mental state and or individuality. Yeah, yeah, using them. Because she, yeah, because, like, the mom is very focused on, no, your goal is to protect humanity, protect the earth. You don't have time for all these trivialities like hanging out with your friends. It's something that we dealt with American Dragon Jake Long as well, where he just wanted to go to the skate park because he's a doofus. (laughs) Nobody ever wants to go to a skate park. It's a, it's a, it's a cultural, we've, we've been hypnotized, everyone. Yeah. That's not, there, nobody wants to be there. There's teens there. Yeah, why would you... Don't put yourself through teens. <laughs> teens are bad. Yeah, like, limit yourself to one and have that one be yourself. That's that's all you need. But uh, And even then, only as long as you have to. <laughs> we did see it there, right? Where, yeah. where well, he had responsibilities as this supernatural thing, but he really wanted to just be a regular guy. Yeah, we, we even saw it in, like, Generator Rex. And that was Or even, Danny Phantom. That was even more in, like, the science-y vein, where, like, we need to use you as a protector. Don't get it confused, you know... You're a fine kid or whatever, but this is your job. (laughs) Like his handler being like, you're a weapon. I don't care about you. (laughs) But I still want your approval, dad. 
Don't call me that. <laughs> I'm Agent Six. I, I'm Agent K. Wait, I mean Agent Six. God, I don't even remember. <laughs> that was too long ago. It is very strange. Um, but yeah, on that curve, Dr. Wakeman is pretty good because she does show uh, a care toward Jenny. She pays attention. You know, Jenny's like, I want, you know, I want to feel emotions. I want to be able to feel things. Can you install this chip in me? And she's like, I'll put it on the, I'll put it on my very long lit to do list. And yeah, I'll put it, I'll put it at the bottom of the pile. Well, I never well, got no, like, no, that's, that's the funny bit is that she's like, I'll put it on my long to do list. And Jenny goes away, you know, sullenly. But that night she's like, I brought you this chip. And she's like, I thought it was on your long to do list. Yeah, but I put it at the top for you, oh, nice. Jenny. <laughs> Yeah, I, I honestly didn't get that much. I, I mostly, from so Dr. Wakeman, voiced by Candy Milo, who is both Dexter and Snap from Chalk Zone. Great. Um, yeah, always a great voice actress. Uh, and I love what she does here, because she does that, um, she does that delightful thing that they did in Dexter's Lab, where this is an American family, American mom, American dad, American daughter, Italian son? <laughs> <laughs> like, Maybe... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's never explained. It's not <laughs> or even really not remarked upon at all. Wherever he's from, it's not an extant country. <laughs> it doesn't exist in America, which is the only country. But like, <laughs> happy July Fourth, is... everyone. <laughs> yeah, happy Happy Fourth July. Um, but this this character, Doctor Wakeman, everybody else is American. She is like, she follows the model of make a funny accent because why wouldn't you? And it makes her sound like Paul F. Tompkins' version of Andrew Lloyd Webber from Comedy <laughs> Bang Bang. Yes. Like, it, he, like the most British, like with a rolling the R's and everything. XJ and 9. Yeah, um, yeah, draw it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I, so their interaction is interesting because she does have like these tendencies to treat her first, like, like this is a pretty consistent curve that they go through. Treat her like a machine. Jane, uh, J- Jenny gets sullen comes back and says, can you do this? She says, no, but she eventually ends up doing it anyway. Yeah, she's she's able to be a good mom, but she needs to be reminded. Yeah, well, I, I that's, the, that's the interesting part, is like, that's what really felt made it feel like the helicopter parent thing, is like, parenting to her is giving her child the best chance at success, but she defines what success is. Yeah. Right, it, it's, it's not up to Jenny to be what she wants to be, it's up to Jenny to fulfill the ambitions that Dr. Wakeman has suggested in Jenny. Listen, and, and that's that's pretty cool. Listen, honey, I know you want to play, but we got to get you ready for this audition. You're going to be a child star. I'm four. <laughs> I'm fucking four, mom. Put on those heels and get in that pageant. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be a good mom here. She does seem like she's more focused on, you know, the idea of being a good mom as opposed to actually, I don't know what caring for her daughter means to her. You know, yeah. I, I don't understand that verb implicitly with her, which is good. Like, I like that, uh, that dual nature, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and that, that also can create some pretty funny dialogue bits where, like, you're kind of mixing the two, right? Where, like, don't you raise your lasers to me, young lady. <laughs> yeah, sure. Go to your cryo chamber. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that kind of thing is, is, is pretty good. Yeah. We don't get yeah. quite. I, yep. No. Go ahead. I was just going to say that I think that she's my favorite character, probably. Oh, I thought she was pretty solid. But, you know, Jenny's just like too cute and fun that I don't She's wanna... very bubbly. Uh, fun little detail. Dr. Wakeman. I don't know if this was intentional, but like the notion of like that that feels like a Frankenstein uh, reference. You're know, like, you know, waking a man or you know, oh, yeah. creating life to this lifeless thing like this. Sure. 
You know, like this, this, this android coming to life, you're basically waking them up, rebooting them. I don't sure. know. I, it feels like it has to be intentional. How I else d- does Wakeman happen? I don't, I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't hate it the most. But yeah, go on. Um, so yeah, so she's, you know, she, she does buy into that conflict in uh, Jenny. I don't think Brad does as much. So Brad is like this uh, uh, just sort of yeah, run-of-the-mill guy. Yeah, what's what's going on with Brad to you? He's just a he's just a normal dude. <laughs> as as is our as is our standard policy, I get all of the you know exceptional metahumans out of the way. I get to explain them, and then it's it's time for you to talk about the dreamy teens. It it's weird because like he's a good buddy character. He's not dopey. He's not insecure. He's, he's exceedingly not, deuteragonist. He's not taking advantage of Jenny's naivete. He's just like a good dude. Yeah, he's he's kind of a dweeb, but he's a he's a pretty endearing one. This is the first teen that she's ever met. Um, he's she's the first robot he's ever met, and she the, what is what is really neat is that he doesn't treat her like a robot, really. Yeah, he treats her like a teen. I mean, like he'll he'll talk to her like, "Hey, what what's on the mission agenda today?" But like, it's like a hobby is is yeah, his conception of it. Yeah, do you want to go out to the comic shop once you're done, you know, fighting crime or whatever? That's that's sort of the the tenor of that relationship, yeah. and I, I I do like that. He he he's like the reason she likes him so much is he doesn't buy into that whole duality. He's just like well, this is he who validates you, her self identity. Yeah, this is who you are. Great, I'm on board. I like this aspect of you even more. I would have really you know been interested in seeing some uh, conversations between Doctor Wakeman and Brad. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, I think that they have very different perceptions of Jenny and that would have been neat to explore that territory of like how other people see her as opposed to how she sees herself, which is yeah. still fine. They kind of occupy different spheres of this show. Maybe that's for the best though. Like having her have two very segmented lives. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, there's a trope I saw in a, in a video essay called born sexy yesterday. Have you seen this video? Uh, I've, I've, I, I'm aware of the art that's the pop culture detective. I have no idea. I, it's YouTube recommendation. Let me look it up. I, I, I think I've seen stuff from them and I think Ethan's recommended the, the born sexy yesterday trope. If I'm, if I'm correct, it's like the notion of the, uh, ultra powerful, like super woman, but she's very naive. Yeah. She'll be an alien or she'll have amnesia. And the man who looks after them is desirable because, you know, he's just an everyman. It's that sort of thing. Um, you know, yeah, does, oh, you does, don't, does you, Brad exude, uh, no, no, no. Well, well, this is what uh, a sex appeal. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's pop culture detective. Yes. I, I think Brad and Jenny work around this for a couple of reasons. And I think it's really good that they do so because it doesn't feel like he's taking advantage of her and no, it doesn't feel like she's looking at him just as a person who can fill her in. Like Brad's a good dude. He's not using her to accomplish something. He's um, about as chill as they come. But the difference between him and like a character like in uh, like in the fifth mel- uh, the fifth element, Corbin. Where, Corbin, my man. Corbin, my man, my man, Corbin, uh, where she is. Lily is completely dependent on him um, because he understands society and she's basically a like a child. Yes, Jenny. A here, sexy, a sexy, sexy child. Sexy which is child, not great. And so Jenny here actually understands the basics of society. It's just that she doesn't have access to a lot of what makes society make sense, like the dreams I mentioned. Like, you know, she doesn't understand when she's given dreams. You don't really talk about your dreams to people because that's d- d- dumb and weird. 
and he's yeah, you figure that one out to her like, like, at age five yeah he's explaining to her like they're cooler to be and then to hear about and he's so he's like filling in the gaps and like it she's almost like a foreign exchange student in that way yeah yeah it does feel that way. like she goes to high school at times and it's like oh this is a this is somebody who's kind of out of touch with our cultural dynamic mm-hmm. but that that's that's fine because it's it it's different from the born sexy yesterday which i'm glad you brought up because i think that's a good trope that we haven't ever really talked about yeah um there's uh that that's that's a very common thing in some rough anime that yeah. i was was exposed to um have you ever have you ever seen elf and lead no i think it's been recommended to me that that is the weirdest that's such a weird combination don't watch it it's not good right. um it's a weird combination <laughs> of like brutal violence and like all of the all of the sexy taboos that they like putting in harem anime. Okay. Like the 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 guy the the guy that is ostensibly like the the main love interest for the main character. The so the main character, I'm not going to go into it. She's got like this flip personality, one of which is a like a, a killer assassin like sociopath. The other one is like literally like a 4-year-old trapped in a adult a, a young woman's body. Yeah, this is definitely an anime problem, <laughs> and like has to be has to be taught about her sensual urges by the only other person there who happens to be this guy. And also, there's Wincest. It's it's ridiculous. I've, it's ridiculous I, and disgusting. I visited Literatica. I know you, what you're talking about. You don't need to. You don't need to watch it. But it, it is a very prevalent trope, especially in that kind of anime. Yeah, anime. This is. This is less of it that. It was pop and, culture de- detective, by the way. That was yeah. the. Uh, they did. They did a. Uh, they do some really good videos yeah. talking about how shitty the um, Big Bang Theory is in terms of misogyny. Oh, great! Oh yeah, yeah you should watch. To, I'll have to check out more videos. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think this is less of that type of trope, and this is more of like the main character is a new student, and they become friends with the loser, and they are fine ignoring everyone else. There's there's no element of coercion to it, and there's no element of like seduction to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's he's not trying to get at anything out of her, and the and she doesn't she doesn't read as helpless yeah, or yeah. innocent. She or I guess she reads as innocent but not childish. Yeah, yeah. Like he he says the foreign that, exchange student. I think is is the correct way to put know, it. You know, he he says once that she's her that she's his best friend. And she blushes at that because she's glad that they're such good friends. Like, this is easily one of the least sexual shows we've dealt with in a while. And we know sexy shows. We just watched Yu-Gi-Oh! And, you know, that, like, that Kaiba and Yu-Gi-Oh! Those highlights. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's uh, Or the, the Final Fantasy VII remake. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, we, we, we know sexy shows. This we, is just we have not to go it. through and organize and catalog these, I think. Well, we'll have to. I think we should come up with a list, maybe, for the... Car- well, that's got to be one of the Cartoni Award... We'll do a categories special. We'll do an sexiest, mo- horniest shows. But <laughs> I, I think you're right. Is that he's what I like about it is like it's not exploitative in any way, right? Mm-hmm. It's not exploitative in the kind of female friend who I actually want to date kind of way. It's not even every time hinting at it. Like there's no tension. No, no of, hint. Th- like neither of them is like, oh, you know, I, I'm looking for somebody to go with to the dance, and they're like, oh, I hope you find some-. like that. Does not happen here. They don't, yeah, they don't even tease it. I was, I was reading some reviews online for this, um, and, and like most people are like, this is actually a pretty good show. Like, I don't know why it doesn't get a lot of hype. There was somebody who was like, I really want to see 
you know, the the Brad X Jenny finale where they get together. And I like I couldn't stop myself from being like, why? Yeah. Oh, why I do wanna, you want that? I want to see the these... chemistry for that. That's not the chemistry in that relationship. The chemistry is, you know, buddies. They're 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 best friends. <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. need you don't need your female and male friends in high school, best friends in high school. You don't need to, as told by Ginger it, where it turns out he was hot all along, but he had braces or, you know, mm-hmm. the Kim Possible, Ron Stoppable dynamic where, oh, like it, it looks like they actually are perfect for each other now that we got all past all the, the, the teen bullshit. They can, you can, they can just be friends. It's, yeah. it's okay, guys. Oh, it's I, okay. I, I want to see these two triangles on top of a circle on top of five rectangles uh, interact spatially with these three triangles on top of two rectangles. <laughs> Yeah, like there's 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 they're no not even, there's not no even romantic drawn like there's no <laughs> well not even that but they're just not romantic chemistry there's mm-hmm. no romantic chemistry there and that's not to say that Jenny doesn't exhibit teenage girl kind of swooning tendencies because mm-hmm. that's a part of a teenage girl that I I'm glad that she exhibits like she she reads a magazine on her bed with like the legs kicking motion and is like oh oh Ian something or other you know like she she's kind of swooning over a a babe teen in some sort of magazine. Like, I'm glad that exists. It is the same level of teen fantasy as grabbing a sword and going on a pirate adventure is. It's it's in, it's totally it's aspirational. It's totally intellectual. It's it's fantasy for its own sake, and it never goes into their actual relationship. So yeah, I think I think as far as like the buddy buddy, they they do they play it very well. They they nail it, and and I I like him. I like how he doesn't put any like expectations on her as like you are the most important thing in my life because you're a superhero kind of dynamic like you saw it in um static shock to some degree sure where virgil is the superhero and richie because of many reasons which i'd be happy (laughs) to talk about uh you know sort of obsesses over him um and that and that's you know that 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 was a cool dynamic on its own but it did place a lot of burden on Virgil because Richie, you know, kind of put him on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen here. He he's just interested in Jenny as a fellow teen, and that's what's so validating for her. There is an episode where um, they make a skin suit for her so that she can be a yeah. real girl. Um, and I'm thinking specifically of the second one where it starts like evil talking to her from the back of her neck. Oh, I only saw the first one. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, she she needs to put on human skin to go to the sock hop. Uh, everything's in the 50s, by the way. The sock hop? Yeah, man. There's a jukebox. There's milkshakes. There's everything. Saying, so, give me the give me the etymology on sock hop, would you? You know, sock hops and soda jerks. It's the it's where the t- 50s teens and their poodle skirts are going jamming with their with the with the greasers with the tufts, the flappers and the and the cutting a rug. I, I know where I know where soda jerk comes from. That's because the guys who serve soda jerk off a lot. That's obvious. That's why they're so but, foamy. So, the, <laughs> yeah. but, 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 what, <laughs> but what about sock hop? Is just just because you're like jumping around? Yeah, yeah. Your socks are moving around, right? I didn't. You have to take it. off your shoes before coming inside <laughs> because you're going to track mud, idiot. So uh, you know, so she has to dress up as a human, and she gets hit on by a lot of like guys there, and she like doesn't know what to do her her weird flesh suit venom thing is telling her like oh no you want to <laughs> you want to hang out with the boys um but you're, she, you're better than you're better than all of them eddie but she's you know she maintains that i just want to be treated as a human i agree it's about the humanity of it yes yes it definitely is 
And I, I think that is why Brad's character works so well in relation to her. I don't know how well he works on his own. He's There's not a lot going on there. No, he, he does. I do like the aspect of him being extremely chill. He kind of reminded me of Milo from Pepper Ann. I because he just was like very sedate and sometimes kind of whispered these sweet nothings like th- these things that are like pretty chill and you wouldn't mind hanging out with him even though like there's not much going on in the background there. Hmm. Like he said one he said one thing that I really liked which was like uh, you can't let people walk all over you even if they're walking under you and it was like talking about <laughs> like people putting her on a pedestal and being beholden to their expectations. Yeah, yeah. And that being the kind of power dynamic. So that was that was kind of cool. Well, I see I see some difference between those characters. I would almost imagine like Milo is the improv character that Brad would do. Like that's his go-to guy because it's not too oh, He doesn't different. have enough personality for it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it that that is that is the main problem there. And this is the kind of main problem that I have in the show in general is mm-hmm. that in isolation I don't think Jenny's that interesting. In isolation, I don't think Brad's that interesting. There there is just a there I think the character work independently is a little bit weak mm-hmm. um even though like when jenny interacts with either her mom or brad all of the cool things come out mm-hmm. it it's it's just it's just the individual bits are are not yeah. that good or society mm-hmm. at large or society at large and granted that doesn't happen a ton yeah um yeah. there are some other side characters that i find just generally like different shades of annoying and needy mm-hmm. uh, uh brad's brother tuck and then this what was his name? Sheldon? Yeah, Sheldon from US Acres, yeah. Yeah, he's... He, he he hatched from that egg and immediately he imprinted on Jenny as the first thing he saw. And grew up to be in the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah, yes, that These was the entire... all the I, same character. Somebody give me that evolution shirt <laughs> with <laughs> Sheldon from US Acres. Evolve into Sheldon from Jenny <laughs> from Life as a Teenage Robot. Immediately evolve into Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Uh, it's, All it's, I want. it's telling that like the guy who's covered in an eggshell is the most adjust- well adjusted of those. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's before he he gains the power of sight and realizes how horrible the world can be, and or how erotic and mechanical it can be. Sure. Um, so yeah. these these other characters are are kind of impediments. They're kind of like the you know oh don't do that that's a bad idea or oh you should do that that's super cool. They're they're not really they're instigators. They don't. Brad Brad's not going to her... start shit. Yeah, they don't treat her with the humanity that makes her interesting. Well, I mean, like she can they they can bring out maybe a a dynamic that is not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Tuck can say maybe an offhanded like, "Wow, you're really cool when you're fighting crime," um, and you know, cause some self doubt on like, "Am I only cool when I'm doing this?" I'm not saying that specific thing happened, sure, but it sure. would be, it's a very short jump from what I had seen to that kind of dynamic. So it, it, it's not that bad as like instigate instigatory characters, because there's not really an, there's not really an antagonist in this show, right? So like there's all of the conflict, of the week, like you said, there's monsters of the week, but all like the all the conflict comes from Jenny kind of wrestling with this notion that she's not a regular human girl. So these you know side characters that kind of introduce in you know kind of kind of kind of friction mm-hmm. are not bad in and of themselves. Again, or, or not bad in, in, in context, but in and of themselves, again, I think are just fairly annoying. Tuck yeah. has one of these really yelly kid voices. Don't like it. Um, and, and Sheldon is, you know, I don't know when we're going to get over this 
it's funny for somebody to stalk their crush yeah when you're, when you're a teen i don't know when we're gonna get over this 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 shared delusion that that is that is endearing or funny yeah it, it is it is just gross <laughs> i'm i'm so sick of this character <laughs> and he's just like he's trying to sexualize her and it doesn't work and we hate him for it which yeah that if if that was self-aware bravo it wasn't self-aware <laughs> yeah oh like the show like making fun of the internet people in the future <laughs> Yeah, like, what are you doing? He's a garbage Jenny fanboy, and I don't know why he's here. One thing I do like is that he does treat Jenny as a girl and not as a robot. Again, But he's probably... doing it in a way where, like, he's licking her. Right. It's uh, that thing that you had said once and keeps coming back. There's, you know, two ways that you... Well, I mean, that's kind of interesting, right? The notion that she wants to be treated as normal as a teenage girl, and then we see this person who's treating her as a teenage girl, but still putting her on a pedestal because it's of that. It's still like dehumanizing in that still sense de- of the word. Dehumanized. It's it's less unique, but mm-hmm. it's still dehumanized. That's not terrible mm-hmm. if they could go anywhere with it, which they can't. Not a yeah. character-driven show. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's not a terrible... I don't think the component is bad, right? It, it, the, the admixture is fine. Yeah. In isolation, the character sucks. I don't, I don't <laughs> want him there. And like um, all these models, all these character models are just not that great. Like I like uh, Dr. Wakeman because she's, mis- you know, kind of got some Miss Frizzle vibes of, uh, there's this great like weird Pinocchio erection nose uh-huh. that she's got, like the, the, the turns up and, and the, like the rose colored glasses, which I'm sure is a metaphor I don't care about. And like the hair is good, and she's kind of like this 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 three foot tall person in a five foot tall person's world in the in the manner that scientists sometimes are. Yeah, yeah. Like that's all that's all pretty good. I like that character model. Jenny looks good. I like the pigtails. I like the chrome aesthetic. I like the joints, the very clear mechanical joints, and like the blue color scheme. Yeah, the the like breastplate and like like big honking boots the hip plates and all yeah all the plates and like the different coloration boots on them, are made for jetting they look kind of like what a teen girl might wear but yeah, they also serve as like oh these are the segments of your body that are interchangeable and like we can weld on some new armor if we need to right but that's where the good character design i think ends mm-hmm. um brad is is normal looking which is functionally good but it's just boring it's just shapes yeah, you're just you're. It's just a series of shapes. What is, reg- which is sort of in- interpretive as a teen that's not cool but not uncool. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk know. a little bit about the the shapes of the characters and the backgrounds because go for it. Th- this is something that, like you said, thick outlines and strong shapes, like we saw in Dexter's lab. Um, it draws heavily from what's called Art Deco. Mm-hmm. Um, these are bold lines, simple geometries. We saw a darker version of this in Batman the Animated Series, the Dark Deco, uh, they called it. Mm. So this is this is sort of the counter to that. This is um, drawing from that retro-futuristic aesthetic of the 50s where they're like, the future is going to be fabulous. Nuclear power is the way of the future. Yeah. Um, you know, you can see it in the title cards, which are all like B-movie type things where it looks like the cover of Atlas Shrugged. Sure, like uh, wait, I actually I didn't see the uh the the title cards. Are they kind of like a Danny Phantom thing where it looks like a B movie horror movie poster with with fewer words? Yeah, fewer words. Okay, <laughs> yeah. it's um, and they, I do think that the the like character designs, 
usually you don't see sharp angles and triangles for protagonist characters. Those are more traditionally a villain shape, but they they work here because everything has that sort of, uh, you know, sleek chrome aesthetic. Right. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Like, because let's bring to mind some contemporary works by this very creator, Powerpuff Girls. You know, him especially with a lot of pointy, pointy angles. The Gang mm-hmm. Green Gang, from what I remember, had some pointy chins. Um, <laughs> you know, there were there and like, you know, Professor Utonium definitely had like the the extremely square modeling with him going yeah. on. Think about but, Dexter. Think about But then you but then you get like the Powerpuff girls, they had the bow, which like Blossom had the bow, which was like kind of a triangle Sailor Moon tiara kind of thing uh-huh. going on but everything else was very round the hands and legs were just like little flesh nubbins mm-hmm. like uh somebody put too much silly putty into like a lego mold or something like that and just like these little dough legs coming out at the bottom and like these little dough arms the, yeah. the the head is a perfect circle the hair doesn't pop out at all it's just kind of drawn onto that scalp so like <laughs> You know, everything is very round for the protagonist there. So so having your chief protagonist be angular, that's interesting. Yeah, it adds a little bit of a little bit of that edge, like, oh, I don't fit into this society. Um But I mean, like everybody is angular though. That's it's true. not just her. Well, that's because this society, you know, like I said, with, with Brad this, has Johnny Bravo levels of hair care. <laughs> with the way that this thing is styled, it's it's what a person in the fifties thought the life would be like in the two thousands. Maybe so, yeah. And that sort of thing, you know, shows up a little bit everywhere, but it's not, like, part of their culture. It's not, you know, recognizably like, oh, look at these new future goggles that I'm wearing. No, it's like, I'm out of high school. I'm doing high school shit. Yeah, I I suppose so. I, I didn't find it objectionable that they were using these kind of blocky shapes. What, what did kind of jar me a little bit, which I guess is not new, uh, is that their tendency, and this was something that you had in Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's Lab a lot, where where backgrounds have no depth to them. Like, they are all very two-dimensional things drawn on other things, mm-hmm. kind of background. Like, the, you see, like, this is very consistent. Powerpuff Girls, the city of Townsville. <laughs> and you see a, 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 a backdrop of some sort of sunset and then just a bunch of buildings traced in there. And there's yes. no sense of, of dimension to it. You can't tell where any building is in relation to any of the others. And you see that a lot here. Machines seamlessly blend into the background. Um, and, you know, as do like, you know, uh, you know, water towers and, and trees. There, there's no sense of depth to but, these objects. But I think that that works here. And I think the reason is that's because this art style is not drawing on reality it's drawing on something that has only ever been an art style a very iconic simple uh flat sort of shape it is iconic i don't know how much it contributes to the lack of charm about this that i felt because like and i'm trying to figure out what the distinction is why do i not like these characters in isolation as much as characters in dexter's lab and or powerpuff girls and or samurai jack and and i i don't know whether that's a artistic problem or a storytelling problem but there i wasn't getting something well they're they're less they're less characters like except for jenny nobody really seems to have anything even remotely resembling character growth or like you know how many how many traits can you attribute to brad other than good guy uh i weedsman (laughs) 
That's just I didn't how see that about him, but okay. It's just how he reads. I mean, Weedsman in training. You know, it, they're like, he's simple, got friends. He's got friends characters. who play a base. And they, they're simple characters who don't even get a gimmick. You know, a lot of shows would be like, you know, he's a normal guy, but he, he's always wearing these ridiculous clothes. Or It does feel like they were put in there for Jenny to bounce off of. Yeah, this is, this is standard human. Yeah. Oh, yeah, human that, music. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I, I think that may, maybe, maybe that is the case. Because, mm-hmm. like, and maybe that the, I don't know what the problem is exactly. Because <laughs> Dexter's Lab had... I guess archetypical father and mother as no, but they were characters. weird as hell. There was like the father. Yeah, he was like, I love my family. I'm a I'm a working man in the fifties. But he was also like, I am the Muffin King. I, I mean, yeah, but like that's that's <laughs> you could see that happening with Brad, like having a just a single story where he, <laughs> I could not. he has, has an extremely weird, you know, uh, hobby slash fetish. If we're referring no, to the Muffin I King, I could bit. not. I could never I mean, see him become obsessed with playing cards. I could never see him like, oh, I'm. Be- I I tried out for the football team and I'm actually great and I'm going to ignore my friends. He's just not like that. He's not well, like anything. We, not not as we've seen. But how many episodes in in Dexter's Lab re- refer to the father as a Muffin King? He he's he's normal until he's not. Is my point? Hmm. Maybe I haven't watched it in a while. I, I guess I guess maybe just the admixture of like Dexter and Dee Dee are always interacting. Yes. Jenny and Brad are always interacting. That would be like Dexter always interacting with his mom. I see what you're saying. And that that that's a weird. That's a harder dynamic to to create any. Well, that's, just, that's it, because Dee Dee is much better defined. Dee Dee is much more well defined and much more. Uh, just I, I get the feeling like she's just a better character just a better more well-designed character that that pops a little bit more charming well it, it fit that show more you know dexter wasn't trying to assimilate with humanity brad is acting as the point of contact for the outside world a sort of you know safe space for jenny to dip her toe into before she tries and reveals herself at her quinceanera or whatever yeah, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't think of her as you know having <laughs> having any sort of Hispanic. I, origin, I was trying to I'm think of like, it. oh, what's it called? Like a dilettante ball? What? What's the thing where they like show themselves a coming out party? That sounds incorrect. I'll go with quinceanera. But it like she was created like a month ago, so it'd be like a quinceanera. <laughs> yeah, happy quinceanera. Happy quinceanera. Definitely a fifth, right? I'm not a. I don't speak Spanish, but I'm pretty sure that's just five. I I think I more like chopped off the teen part than actually just Wait. asserted the five part. But it's, Wait, I'm maybe sure it's, it's Quinn. Fine. God, I need to learn a language. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. We have trouble enough with this one, don't we? <laughs> uh, yeah. So what else do we want to want to hit on? You know, I, I hadn't thought about it, but uh, Dee Dee's design. And Jenny's design are very similar in one capacity. Both the big eyes, which is just a Powerpuff Girls thing. But also, how do we communicate hair on girl? <laughs> Pigtails. Pigtails and smooth head. Uh-huh. Like, that's that's what that's what, uh, that, that's what hair on girl means. Got that roundness. Yeah. So I, that, that, I, that, that is a point of comment. The eyes I saw more as like a Betty Boop style. They're pretty... They're close to a Betty Boop style. They're, they're, but they're definitely like, we need to attribute femininity to this thing which has no sexual indicators yeah i mean like i feel like her character does that fairly well i the the bubbly personality the little smile that that and the 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 quote-unquote pigtails definitely do the work of that Mm -hmm. 
it's just uh you know I'm, I'm glad that they didn't go hartman hips or anything like that yeah that would have yeah. been rough because like been that bizarre. was that's how they did it in dexter's lab right is that you know we can't have we can't we can't have this 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 female character be too sexualized so we can't you know give them a big old chest we just have to make just enormous hips <laughs> and that that's that's good enough that Fine tradition understand. carried on by pixar i'm i'm glad that they went you know beyond the physical realm and we're like well we can probably uh, you know portray some femininity to this character yeah. with 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 a couple a, a couple a couple non-physical characteristics yeah, go beyond plus ultra so I, I don't I don't know where that came from, but please continue. <laughs> so uh, comparing it to Dexter's Lab, uh, I think that the show does a lot of quiet subversions. You know, in the sense of those background gags, it's not really like pushing the art form the way Dexter's Lab did, but it's more of like there are genre expectations and associations of sci-fi, and this does its best to kind of fiddle with them. Tell me what you mean by that. Um. It's it's mostly like in the sight gags um, and the callbacks to classic sci-fi tropes. So like, mm. oh, it's a city filled with robots. You know, let's oh, they're just like normal people, but they're robotic. You know, oh, this one drives himself. That's quaint. But then there's a guy with a typewriter for a head and he's typing on his head and they they walk past and don't draw attention to it. It's it's sort of like, yeah, well, why not attitude of, of drawing? <laughs> There's a lot of why not uh, yeah. to to this to this show, like very Futurama style. This machine just exists, and that's the joke. Mm-hmm. Like, no, who would create a, you know, suicide phone booth? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, who who would who would who would make this? <laughs> who would make a Ferris wheel with a death spiral? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, speed. Yeah, you know, like that. It would just it would never happen. So, like, if you're talking about like kind of the environment. The, the situational comedy. It's it's not just the environment. It's also the way that things interact and the way that information is portrayed. So, like, there's a scene where Brad has to chase after Jenny, and he hops on an old-timey bicycle. It's like, oh, old-timey bicycle stands, and he, like, absconds with it. But he immediately rides past a stand that's, like, lightning bikes, fastest bikes in the world. And the that's one joke. But then the joke is, like, the salesman in front of the lightning bike stand just, like, looks down for a fraction of a second like he looks dejected and it's that look of dejection that i'm talking about <laughs> gotcha yeah i i it's it's they give it the barest hint of self-awareness about how how the how 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 this how silly the situation is mm-hmm. there's this one episode that i i'm i'm a big fan of how this goes um they they did like this theme three episode title thing hear no evil see no evil speak no evil hmm each of them kind of fiddling with one of Jenny's senses. The the see no evil one, she gets these big robot eyes, but they look ridiculous, so she decides to take them out, and she's just walking around without eyes for <laughs> most of the episode. That's that's it, a very Jenny plot line. It, yeah, like it's it's so rudimentary. Like, what if a robot did this? And don't worry about you know what what it means for characters because that doesn't matter here. It's a very Jenny plot line. She fights. She ends up fighting a giant eyeball. Oh. And the way that she beats the giant eyeball is kicking dust into its eye. And mm. the the eyeball is like, "Ah, I need to get I need to get this out." And he like reaches around with his big like eyeball tentacles, which he apparently has. And like there's just like a series of improbable salesmen <laughs> straight out, straight out of the Norb store style, you know, 
get your eye drops. Get your eye drops right here. Eye drops and hot sauce. And there's like a, a separate <laughs> column for hot sauce, and he grabs one of those red hot hot sauce. You, you know, get your magnifying glass. Uh, intensifies the burning nature of the sun. Pointy yeah, stick yeah. salesman. <laughs> yeah, you know, like. The first two are like, okay, I don't know why they're there. And then the third one is like, okay, come on, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yep. It's yeah. a, so like, the, I, I like the those kind of jokes where, you know, sort of a sheep in the big city style. We're, we're poking fun at the nature of, of, of this, of the situational comedy. Like the, these things should not exist. Mm-hmm. This is, this is all pretty classic, you know, in like just a visual comedy gags that are that almost feel kind of Marx Brothers ish yeah, it's, of, it's of the, like letting your scene tell the joke for you it's the kind of thing you can do when you've set up your production staff in the way that they have so like if you're a storyboard artist and you're saying okay uh you know how does she defeat a big eye she'll kick up dust and then it, it will try and fix it but it will grab something and hurt itself okay got it and then the guy who's filling in the actual animation could be like you know what it should grab and like <laughs> whoever has the best idea from any angle, that's the one that they pick. Yes, and yes. I think that's and great. It's it's pretty good, and and, and the situation, like the um the visual comedy, doesn't stop there. It it very much leans into the uh, aspect of this show that is, let's do a sci-fi thing, mm-hmm. or or let let's let's go to this environment and play around in it. Yeah, Let, yeah. let's let's do let's do this stuff. And there, there's nothing stopping you from going there, so you're welcome to use whatever visual tricks you can manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one episode where they go to a carnival, and Jenny tries to dress up as a normal human girl. The costume is atrocious. She's viewed as a monster, and all the carnival folks start freaking out. And this really justifies why on earth was it a carnival that they wanted to go to? Because it lets a bunch of, you know, those squirting in a clown's mouth kind of like squirt gun games, the the desk opens up and a bunch of actual human clowns walk out of it and into a clown car and then leave. <laughs> There's the guy at the, like the kind of um, small waist, large chest and shoulders, strongman kind of thing. Sure. At the test your strength thing. He jumps onto the test your strength thing, uses the mallet to launch himself out of the park. <laughs> And that they're like eventually there's like a, all the fa- all the fair growers like assemble as an angry mob of sorts. But instead of torches, they've got cotton candy that are just in the generic shape of of torches. Nice. It, it's pretty good, you mm-hmm. know. Like it's it's like there's no reason for it to be on a, at a carnival, except for this. There's a bunch of stupid background gags that we can tell. Not really background gags. Like they get like as you said, two or three seconds to tell the joke without slowing anything down. It's just like, oh, that's kind of clever. Yeah, and I appreciate that, especially when your source material doesn't have any restrictions on what can you do. It's sci-fi fantasy with a slice of life twist to it. You can be wherever you want. You can be underwater. You can be on the moon. Mm -hmm. Whatever jokes you can think of, you can think of a plot to justify those jokes. And you have an endless list of plots to draw from because this just borrows classic sci-fi tropes like nothing and turns it into this slice of life uh, uh, action, you know, sitcom kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. it, it, it's like how Futurama did for comedy. Uh, take this classic, yeah, oh, War of the World, let's do this. Mm. Well, they'll do War of the Worlds here, and it will be like, oh, man, it's really hard to fit in now that everyone has to do the exact same thing because we've been enslaved by the, you know, robot masters of the future. 
Yeah. Yeah, it, it's 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 less inventive. It's it's the same idea, right? Yeah, but it, I mean, it's not adapting it's, nearly as far as it could, but it's doing just enough to differentiate and remind the audience of what they're looking at. Well, and that that's actually a really good comparison. Let's take that one for a minute because I didn't see the World of Worlds episode in in Life of a Teenage Robot, which I haven't said it yet. That's a bulky title that needs to be changed. Just call it but, Jenny. <laughs> just, just call it Jenny, or or that's what uh, we're calling it. <laughs> Yeah, just SJ9, that the 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 life of just SJ9 or something like that. But that's not fun. that that that's that's just not a good title. But I, th- I in think any it's case, XJ9. You were saying SJ9 like SJW. <laughs> SJW9. Social I, Justice 9. But in, in any case, uh, the World of Worlds episode, that's a really good example of like kind of the strengths and weaknesses of this show in comparison to something like Futurama, which, mm-hmm. you know, I've gone as on record as stating might be my version of the perfect cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least is is definitely like in the top two or three. Well, um, I mean, you haven't gotten through all the food wars yet, so we'll, we'll refrain yeah, pe- from pending, judgment. Pending, <laughs> pending. <laughs> uh, but the the world of the worlds episode in uh, in Futurama starts off with like you know very flimsy excuse to have war. Everybody, know, we we all know that this is the why the war of the worlds thing is happening. It's it's the clearest thing in the world. Wait, was the war of the worlds one the the one with the brain balls? That was more just no. That Vietnam. was mash. That yeah, was that like was mash in Vietnam. What was the World of Worlds one? Oh god, there were probably a few. Honestly, I think they used it more I, for like background gags. You're you're more or less, you're probably correct. Let's. I'm gonna I'm gonna use the brain ball ones just because it's it's the one I remember. But we can probably it, there's probably enough connective tissue here. Mm-hmm. In Futurama, we started with a very dumb reason to have a war, and now we're in a mash ripoff and like. Clearly, like this is a this is a comedic setting. We've already established that nothing needs to make sense. All the doomsday devices in the lab just are absurd on its face. The the the, the Harlem Globetrotters have their own society, culture, and planet. Like we're <laughs> off the rails in terms of actual storytelling making sense. Mm-hmm. But now that we're there, within the absurd premise, you do have a relationship between Fry and Bender and Leela. That is perfectly consistent with all of them and inventive in their own way. They loop in a Henry Kissinger stand-in. They they <laughs> they get you know they get uh they 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 get a lot of jokes with you know Zap Brannigan and his uncomfortable you know brush with uh, homoeroticism and trying to remain in the closet. Like there's a lot of good like little character beats that feed off of both the parody and also the very good character work mm-hmm. of Futurama. Take it over to life as a teenage robot. Tell me what you found in the War of the Worlds thing, in terms of like what what that communicated. Um, well, like you said, you know, in Futurama, it's we have these characters, we have this style. Let's take a sci-fi thing and and work with it. In my life as a teenage robot, you know, the characters aren't as fleshed out, except for Jenny. Uh, the style is very evocative, but you know, you'll have an alien invasion or or what have you, or a robot invasion. And it, you see the resistance, you know, you see all of her friends and family go to war trying to send off the rebellion. At the same time, you see her on an alien planet where everyone's a robot and she has a chance at a normal life. Um, And it deals with that whole, how do I fit in? How do I balance my wants and needs versus what I know the people around me need? Uh, and so it's it's taking that teen drama with a little bit of action formula to this classic sci-fi plotline. It, it it does a little bit, 
and that that that's fine. I like the genre mixing that can happen there. My I guess my point is just that you've kind of you've made the parody joke. You you've you've made the jokes that you can make by shifting the genre, and now you are left. That's there's nowhere to go from it. Well, you know, you're left like with I, a story to tell, and you you but, tell but that story. The, yeah, but the show doesn't work on story, does it? Like, it, it, there's not really story. What you can put in there, and I think that they do a pretty good job of it, is is lean into the action part of it. You know, like actual conflict resolution roundup. I, I mm-hmm. think that there is just a little bit missing in terms of actual, like, the characters expressing themselves in this new setting that just didn't pop that well for me because yeah. I didn't find the characters that in, immersive or, or engaging. It like, is a lot more surface level. There's a there's a there's a Christmas episode because of course there is where um, they do the classic. What happens if we mind control our, our our main protagonist, our main superhero, and they come back and there's been a lot of pub- bad publicity about them. Mm-hmm. You know that's a, that's a pretty it's a pretty common thing, especially in the sci-fi world. Is you you make a clone and then create bad publicity for the real one. This one's a little different because it's mind control instead, but it's the same basic premise. You're coming back after a year, you don't know what happened, and everybody now hates you, including your closest friends and family. Sure. You get a little bit of good relatability in there with uh, the mom because you bust into the mom's place. It's like, I don't know what's happening, and you see the mom is busily at a blackboard trying to design XJ-10. <laughs> And like having to sheepishly cover it up, and like, oh, XJ nine, I, I did, I didn't see you there. Like, it's, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's the only interaction that's any good because you get over to Brad, and he's, he's, he's boring like before. <laughs> like there, there's, well, this, this is there's why, nothing there. This is why it's good that the episodes are eleven minutes because you have that, situation, you see the adaptation, you have the action resolution, and then you're done. But but let me let me explain this is is that it's still too long for the verbs that they have. You have the set up the parody, the subversion, you know, um, you 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 bust in on your old friends and family and like get a good read of the situation, and then you're immediately into conflict resolution. Like the last three minutes are all a fight between her and Santa. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and you know, there's just there's no sense of the characters really belonging. In this new setting, like they're 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 tools to show the parody humor, and they're they're not really they're not they don't be they don't express themselves as characters after a certain point in that yeah in that plot. there there's there's a shift in an episode where they'll go from we have these interpersonal issues that we want to resolve to we have resolved those issues it's time to kick butt and the character doesn't really. Sometimes it does better than others, but it doesn't need to extend into the action. Um, I don't think the action is is too long per episode. I think that it's like this episode isn't about the the action conflict because she's basically got godlike power; she can do anything. The issue is we have we have we have set up barriers to solving this problem based on who we are and the situation we're in. the 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 show is about overcoming those barriers the action at the end is just the cherry on top yeah i I mean that's that's true but given that it's just the cherry on top well i don't know like i i think think about think about one punch man okay that show i'm thinking about it you're very hype saitama is like the problem is not that he needs to beat up a guy the problem is he's in a society that he can't 
quite navigate, and there are barriers to him doing that. And once he's done with that, he'll go punch a guy. But, like, that's what the show's about. And I think that's what they're doing here, too. I, yes, I, I agree. I agree that the like the action is not the the bulk of it. It's it's just the last bit. You know, um, it's 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 all how they get to that last bit that is uh, that is fleshing out the characters. I, I just find that they set up the situation fairly well. They close out the situation fairly well, but the, they don't really have the characters live and breathe in the moment mm. very much. Yeah, they they flounder a bit if they don't have enough jokes or enough you know interesting caveats in the middle. It can get a little tedious. Right, and and they filled it up as, as well they can with, you know, some 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 necessary plot points, but more moreover, a, a lot of you know of that visual humor that that makes up a good bit of the fun in watching this, but not very much character let me, let me, growth let or me, interaction. Let me give an example. In the second Go episode, um, rats take over Jenny's body. Oh, like in TMNT. I think that's how the Rat King established his control, is he just sent a bunch of rats into Splinter, just controlled them from the inside. Is that well, right? Well, these ones are are very clearly Russian communists. <laughs> Tell me, how, how do they communicate the Russian communist angle of these rats? Well, they, they call each other comrade, and they say, for the glory of our revolution. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> um, so the, they're, and also they kind of look like Mickey Mouse. Oh, yeah. So why why is that Russian? No, that's just another thing they decided needed to be in this episode. So so here's mm. the thing. Yeah, <laughs> that is sort of their <clears throat> philosophy in the the beginning of the episode is like I don't know, the she's hanging out with Brad or whatever. She goes to sleep. It's it's the nighttime whatever. The end of the episode, oh, they've stolen her body. They put her head on top of a little toy remote car and drive her around. To, to thwart the bad guys who have taken over her body. Mm-hmm. The middle bit is just these, like, rats kind of planning and, like, her being like, I can't control my body. Wah! There's not a lot going on there. And I think that's right. kind of what you're talking about, where it's just, we don't have anything else to say. We're just going to repeat the things we've been saying. Or do stuff that I just don't care about. You know, like, I it, that's this is the big problem with action-driven shows that are not, like, that are not character driven mm-hmm. is that I, I just get bored. Can't care, yeah. You know, I I've, I've seen it all before, and that that's not a problem with the medium itself necessarily. I just I've seen it all before. Um, I I live for those kind of character interactions. I I would have killed for more of Jenny and her mom dialogue conflict stuff because I think that's where the show lives and breathes. Yeah. Is that uh the 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 two ways that Jenny is treated by her closest confederates uh comrades as it were maybe, but uh you know they just they just they don't have enough to say there maybe that's why the show you know nickelodeon didn't really care about it after a form because you know invader zim also got canceled because it would it cost too much to make and it was taking too long to make but it, at, at the end of the day it was a very unique and different uh show this that's one true. you don't this one i think is a good perfectly serviceable show i don't think you get enough out of it to make it worth being more time consuming than other shows probably not and it, it doesn't look like it's more time consuming right it, it it looks plasticky in the same way that powerpuff girls do i do under i understand that it's an aesthetic choice um but it 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 well, does not <laughs> i think they cared a lot yeah. about the aesthetic choice in the b-movie references but like 
your average Nicktoon watching kid doesn't care a lot about Art Deco and retro futurism. <laughs> it's not about what they care about. It's it's what reads to them. Like sure. I imagine there were a lot of stylistic choices that went into Dexter's Lab that I didn't pick up on, but still appreciated kind of in my hindbrain. Mm-hmm. And 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 part of it gets to like this issue where like I can't I can't separate who I am in, in you know having a, a tremendous bias for liking Dexter's Lab. Um, I can't really I can't really think back to it and try to compare them nose to nose. That just doesn't, that's not going to work. Sure. So I I can't tell whether this is more of the same thing as Dexter's Lab or if Dexter's Lab was charming in a way that this isn't. It it feels to me like the characters were more charming in Dexter's Lab. I don't know if that's actually true. Hmm. But it, it certainly feels that way. And maybe it's just like... They were definitely weirder on average. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, and I, I I, think maybe also the action of those segments were better than this. Hmm. But, yeah, uh, there, just because they were playing with the art yeah. form a bit more. Yeah, and it was a little less complicated. Like, it was all more or less confined to one scene, which is Dexter and Dee Dee in a lab room. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it, you could move out of that scene, but you, you only really had two characters for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, Not really true here. But uh, we, we should talk about... You know, kind of the 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 standout, uh, the the kind of standout animation detail of this show, which mm-hmm. I think we should give it a lot of credit for, which is Ginny's transformations. Oh yeah, the way that like hatches on her open up and things that could not possibly fit in there come out. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's Astro Boy, another clear, you know, reference and inspiration. Yes, yes. And, and I really love, like, the Matryoshka design philosophy of, like, more fits in here than you think there does. Um, sort of, uh, I guess that's not Matryoshka. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Um, but the, the idea behind robots that just, like, robots are, are, are a wish canister. You know, <laughs> like, whatever, whatever plot needs, you've got something for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that. Like, they're almost like Batman. But everything they have is not in a utility belt. It's just inside them. And, like, so the notion of Jenny having a gigantic magnifying glass, like, it's it's very Inspector Gadget. It's Inspector know? Gadget. It's Iron Man. You know, it's, but I think it. No, it's not Iron Man because Iron Man's devices seem like they're purposeful. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is the way, like, in some of the movies where his costume, where his where his iron suit comes onto him, it does this nanotech like slow unfolding and like this latch oh, opens yeah. up and then a bigger one opens up and that sort of like progression, which I think really works well with this art style because of its bold lines and simplest simplistic shapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree, and I I love like the it feels variety. more natural here. I love the variety with which she kind of unfolds into these new ways. Like she'll you know, unfold her arms, like, lock them behind her into, like, this huge drill that she has to, like, boost away from something in order to use the drill. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's it's inventive. It It's not limited to a person's geometry or, or, or joints or anything like that. Like, it, things work in the way you want them to, not in the way logic should dictate that they do. Yeah, her, she'll, she'll be trying to stop a meteor from hitting the Earth, and, like, her arms will turn into big plates and then... Uh, rockets will shoot out the back of them and then her back will emit a parachute and then her head will have like a little spinny propeller <laughs> it's it's so inspector gadget which is this is a good melding of iron man and inspector gadget because you have the high artillery that's really good for like the kind of cool factor that you mm-hmm. get with the sci-fi action show 
and but it it still has that you know silly why did they design it like this mega sex lr kind of energy to it where like i i know that like logically i know there's no reason for her to have both roller skates and jet skis both in her feet <laughs> like what is she designed for exactly <laughs> she's designed for style and fun but but in that mega sex lr way where your robot is always going to do something different because mm-hmm. it's more fun that way yeah, like why not? It, it's not fun if you're the some of the, what the what Power Rangers used to do is when you get to the Megazord, it's all it's all just a lead up to that final sword slash, which is which is cool, but it does get stale. You mm-hmm. know that's what's that's where it ends. And there, I think there were like a good like chunk of episodes where you got to Megazord and immediately did the final sword slash because they were just like out of ideas for how to pad that combat out somehow. And they don't do it with this. They they she never uses the same thing twice. It's always cool, and it was always fun to watch. Like I have I have absolutely no problem with anything that she does when she's transforming. That's all great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it looks good. Like the 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 color scheme of this chrome blue <laughs> robot with a lot of joints. There's rubber hose animation on her arms, which is a nice little mm-hmm. kind of throwback to kind of Tom and Jerry style style stuff i i want to talk about the color a little bit because i thought that this was a really unique and evocative way um to to get across what each uh what each scene is kind of doing so you know jenny's blue coloration that that standard thing Mm -hmm. very rarely does she spend the whole episode looking like that if they are in like a villain's lair the lair is going to be completely red and she's going to be tinted red you know, oh, or, I didn't notice or anything if like that. Or if they're like in a strange otherworldly city where it's like purple and purple's their code color for it's not threatening, but it's not normal. She'll be tinged purple. And actually, like everyone, even the non-metallic people, they their colors will reflect it. It's kind of like in Danny Phantom. You'll get those greens when things are ghostly. Well, I was thinking more specifically to like Samurai Jack where... Mm-hmm. The, the design of it is very much putting lighting in the focus, lighting and lighting and color. Yeah. You know, like uh, Samurai Jack, you, you can always tell the the tenor of the scene depending on how bright it is yeah. or depending on what level of shadow is 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 crossing his face. Yeah. And I think that emphasis does a lot for drawing you into what is otherwise a, a totally ridiculous situation. Yeah, I, and, and it also kind of like is a is a useful framing of Jenny's perception of the scene because very frequently when she's at her own place, dingy gray. You know, mm-hmm. this is a scientist's workshop, and she's generally depressed. <laughs> so um, like it, it's it's a good it's a good you know kind of synthesis of her mood and the lighting working together as one. This also reinforces the Art Deco aesthetic because. You know, those will be, you'll, if you'll have an Art Deco poster, it will be like a building and it's all green. It's just different shades of green. Yeah, and th- that felt like Powerpuff Girls City of Townsville, like where everything, you see the lines separating mm-hmm. the buildings. High but contrast. That's it. There's, no, there's no actual distinction between like the colors on the buildings. It all just, it's, it, it feels like somebody used a coloring book, colored it all something, and and you can clearly see that they're separate objects, but there's no actual color difference between them. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I don't hate. Like, it, it, it does make it feel like a weird, like, high school shop backdrop that doesn't really read <laughs> as, as, like, a background with elements, like, the like depth it's, elements it's, to it's it. It's a feeling more than a, an object. 
Yeah, and like it could come off as looking kind of cheap, but like it, it does work with the the kind of line work that uh, all the characters all the characters are in bold lines as well. Mm-hmm. The idea that the backgrounds don't pop does make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's mostly of what I, of what I have to say about that. Mm-hmm. I I really like you know it, it's really fun kind of coming to something in the later life cycle of somebody whose work we've seen a lot of over the years mm-hmm. and just recognizing here's what they learned from Samurai Jack. Here's what they learned from <laughs> Powerpuff Girls. And, and all of it still works on me. All the individual tricks work on me. It's just, I think it's just the characters are not that charming to me is the main problem. I think everything else is pretty okay, including uh, the sound effects. Yeah, yeah. So this, you know, retro futuristic, this is the Star Wars sound or Star Trek like sound effects library. Yeah, there's, or whatever. there's like a lot of kind of chimes and theremin sort of, sort of, sort of stuff too. You it. can hear the ray gun in your head. Yes, you can hear the ray gun. You can hear the shroom of the of the lightsaber. It's it's pretty easy to connect those. But when they're not doing sci-fi, guess what? It's Dexter's Lab Hanna Barbera school of thought again. <laughs> like you've got Scooby Doo foot scampering and you know take off jet noises. It's 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 all very classical Hanna Barbera. Mm-hmm. Kind of, uh, kind of stock sound effects, and they, they still work. It's intended to draw you in and not draw attention to itself. It's, it's. Yeah, these are time tested. They want you to and, feel this. I, I like them. You know, I, I don't. They didn't get in the way, and they, they fit the. You know, I know. I know cheap is not the right way to put it, but like things do look cheap. I like that they have like these pretty basic sound effects that I'm just very Pavlovian response to mm-hmm. to go along with it. And like um, that's yeah. that's sort of the you know that's sort of the weird paradox of this show is that's clearly a deliberate decision. Every sound effect they found exactly the right one, but to what end? You know, like they they put a ton of effort. You know, it had such a long. Uh, production cycle to make these episodes and i don't know that the end result is that much better than your average show i think it's better i it's i think it's just that um you know for for the for the sound effects let's say they they created the better sound effects to suit the mood and to kind of push the scene forward and to not get in the way of anything else Mm -hmm. but what are you not getting in the way of because there's parts of the show that pop the action scenes pretty good the, the kind of teen girl drama conflict stuff, pretty good. That's that's sort of it. And that's only really that's not the bulk that's not that's not the entirety of the episode. There's there's it's making way for something that doesn't really there's no centerpiece, I think. Oh, it's, I thought uh, I thought it was all centerpiece. I thought it was like you have this really? one basic conflict for this show and not a lot else going on. Well, that, that's sort of what I mean, is that, like, unless you're focusing on that conflict, which, you know, you can't do the entire time, and they tend not to after the first few minutes, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know, like, like the, the, the way it popped at the very end is usually pretty good, because you have Jenny in space using crazy gadgets, there's sci-fi noises and fanfare, like, they want you to be hype about it, and it feels pretty hype. Hmm. The lead-up just doesn't, uh, I don't think, it, it's, is not as impactful, and if your lead up isn't that impactful, then your sound effects are contributing to a hole that just is is sort of flat. 
Yeah, see, see, it's interesting because I also agree that the lead up is a little lacking, but I actually prefer the beginning parts of episodes where it is that drama, it is that I have this conflict in my identity, but then they spend a little bit too much time, you know, repeating that tension, repeating that conflict and not growing it because there's nothing else really to do. You can't grow it. it it's it's a conflict that is interesting and can't it can't grow. Mm-hmm. Based on based on the way the show is in, is created, there there's not really development of the characters, uh, which which I think seems like a design philosophy to me. You know, as much as I liked Samurai Jack as a character, he didn't change all that much mm-hmm. until maybe season five, um, and and this this feels similar. Like they they if if they had a perfectly likable, complete, rounded, you know, charming character. In Jenny, which I'm, I know that you liked her, seems more than I did. Um, th- then you could probably get away with her filling the space with her personality, but her personality is fairly two note, mm-hmm. and, and just it there's there's not enough there's not enough in the way of characters to bounce off of each other to really fill the space. Like there's just a little too much empty space in the middle. I think that uh, that could be filled out by better character development. Mm-hmm. Or, or at least bet more engaging, different characters. Yeah, um, but I, I didn't, I didn't feel it. It's, it's really weird to see a show where there was room for more complexity and they didn't take advantage of it. Maybe this is the the other side of the coin of that deli- design philosophy where everyone can contribute. You kind of don't have that singular focus that you have in shows where they build to something. It's interesting because in Dexter's Lab, you didn't really have. The, the 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 characters weren't very complex. You know, they they had wrinkles to them, and they change like depending on the episode. You got a fairly good idea of what they cared about. Um, you know that 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 is that that is sort of the, how they did it. The but the purpose of the episode was here's an invention that we want to experiment with. Like Dexter has created a way to get all of his homework done on time because he overslept, so he's going to slow time down. Mm-hmm. And do his entire morning in a minute instead of the 30 minutes that it takes. Well, you know, you got to listen to the laws of physics. When he goes to take a shower, the the water starts coming out of the faucet but doesn't go fast enough. So he has to, like, grab it. Yeah, and yeah. And when he, when he tries to write his actual paper, he's writing so fast comparative to, like, the paper that there's, like, fire. Like, yeah. friction causes fire to spout up. And he, he did that for, like, five straight minutes. Yeah, because there were multiple consequences to his one choice. Here, there's was only ever the one. It was it was an iterative way of storytelling, and uh, you know, I, I I don't know that just it didn't it yeah I don't know we're we're we're, we're kind of talking in circles and and it's not really clear to me the ways in which this didn't connect with me. There's mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot here, and I think the mixture is good. It's just like the very middle. There's just not enough going on. There's there's too much space for Jenny to play in. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I mean, what you have here is a show that just doesn't put enough in to maintain my attention with more than spectacle and craft. That's true. That's true. They have the craft. Well, they have the central conflict. We just need, you know, you you watch a Shakespeare show, there are B plots, there are C plots. You need yeah. those. <laughs> yeah, there, there's nothing else going on. You know, there's it's just Jenny's show. 
And and you could very easily have a B plot if Brad was more of a character. Sure. He's not. That's or, not gonna or happen. if there were other characters, or if another robot girl came and like became a permanent fixture, you know, there's ways right. to do it. Or you know, you you really lean into the action-oriented nature of it, which is what the Samurai Jack and Powerpuff Girls dynamic mm-hmm. kind of did, as well as Dexter's Lab. Like all of them focused more on the action, right? Where where right? the problem you're trying to overcome is the central threat. I I wonder what would happen to those shows if we had you know because those are all shows with a protagonist whom is simplistic for the most part jack is older he's mature but he's he's fairly simplistic Mm -hmm. and he doesn't really talk to too many people powerpuff girls and dexter are very young so they're they're fairly simplistic so there's not that much of that conflict of i want to be a teenage girl but i'm actually a super powerful robot thing going on sometimes samurai jack had that where <laughs> samurai jack was always pining as a teenage as a teenage girl on the inside he could never express it because of the samurai's code sure but uh, you know and the robot code nature. the what and the robot code the robo code <laughs> yeah but uh you know he he if there was ever conflict in his character like i want to go to the past but the cost is too great it tends to be set up and resolved in kind of an instant. Mm-hmm. Like he weighs the decision, grimaces, and then does what needs to be done. It's 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 not the focus of the episode. The focus is that it is getting there. Yeah, the conf- is getting to that pivotal pivotal moment. The conflict is external. The conflict's external, and if- and the most of the most of the energy is spent in the con in the actual action. Yeah, as as was true in Baxter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls. I wonder how those shows would have would have would have uh, dealt with characters that had more of a conflict to them. Yeah, or even in this show, like you can have a show where the conflict is entirely internal, but you need a more complex protagonist with more with more interactions. It does feel like they kind of dip their toe into complex protagonist without really committing to the ways they needed to change their formula in order to to support it. They focused on a lot of different aspects of the same central problem. Mm, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I, I think I, I think I'm done, you yeah. know. I think I, I think I've uh spelunked enough of my own ass yeah. at this point. We we, can, we we might we not have on. we might not have solved this show, but I think we've provided a good set of ground rules for everyone else to lose. So Yeah, somebody else do the heavy lifting, please. We're tired, it's hot. Let me let me uh let's finish out with uh just a couple of notes on the dialogue. Sure. I like the way the humor is kind of understated in this in that they don't make a big deal when they hit a decent joke. Mm-hmm. So like uh, when when they're going to go to the fair, um, what was his name? I can't even remember their names. They're so generic. Brad. Brad says, yeah, Tuck is going to, f- his little brother, Tuck is going to conquer his fear of the Ferris wheel. He's afraid of heights? No, giant wheels. Anything <laughs> uh, bigger than a car tire gives him the heebie-jeebies. Now, that's mostly that's all of it like yeah that's great it's sort of the same joke telling as futurama of like why why is why was why does this exist it <laughs> why are we a, here it is a different why the why is ridiculous it's not yes. worth delving into an actual explanation just accept that this was ridiculous and <laughs> move on from there mm-hmm. so i i thought that that was pretty good yes um like i said i think the sound effects in terms of I think the sound effects are mostly like Hanna-Barbera or sci-fi. The 
the notion that this is pretty setting driven in that like do we want to be in space or uh, uh, like in a robotic city or anything like that lets you get more out of the sci-fi sound effects mm-hmm. um, or, or, and it doesn't need to be sci-fi like there was an ep- the Christmas episode where they where Jenny like assaults Santa's fortress because sure uh, what what's you know she gets there and standing in her way, you know, a bunch of elves pop out of the snow. And every time one of them pops out, a different key on a xylophone, like a different high note on a xylophone, like ding, 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 ding. Like all of them popping out of the snow like groundhogs, each accompanied by a different note. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a little cute. <laughs> it's a little cute kind of moment there. Yeah. So, so I think that like, like you said, they did. Ha- they clearly paid attention to what the sound effects needed to be. Yeah, they, I mean, they nailed the the little bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it succeeds on the microscopic scale. Yeah, and, and I, I think I think maybe is not as strong in the macroscopic. I think the macroscopic is good too in terms of the central conflict. I think it's that middle bit. Yeah, I, I yeah, and it, it makes me wish that I had come to this earlier so that I could have given it more of a fair shake than I am coming yeah. back now where my, my tastes have shifted enough that I've just I've seen too much of it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see it in its entirety because it does sound like they're trying new things all the time. It's just maybe we didn't see some of the weirder ones. Yeah, and, and the things that they did do, definitely laudable. Mm-hmm. I like the notion of teenage girl as our protagonist in an action series. You know, that, that just didn't happen that much back then. Sure. Um, you know, cl- clearly commonality with Powerpuff Girls in terms of like what kind of stories they wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, even even in Powerpuff Girls, they had stuff like, you know, having boy troubles or, you know, encountering like people kind of putting them down for being weak little girls. Mm-hmm. You know, there was still conflict there in terms of gender identity. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that it's cool that this is this is doing that. Do you do you think that this is uh? Well, I guess I was interested to like ask as we're closing out, what is something that you would add to this? Um, some other character that can interact with Brad in a meaningful way. Um, How do you feel about a girl, a teenage girl that is Brad's age that is friends with both of them? Yeah, because that that could give Jenny a lot of interesting emotions. I would really, I mean, you could go the jealousy angle. You could just be the, you know, best friend squad aspect of some shows where like they're it's it's still non sexual or and aromantic. Um, they're just a they're just a group of friends. You could mm-hmm. have jealous. You could have friendship jealousy where like, oh, you wouldn't get it. This is kind of a human thing. Like that could be good. And in the same way, Jenny and this you know, this, 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 uh, unnamed female friend could be like, oh, you wouldn't get it. It's a girl thing. You mm-hmm. know, like, I, I think that that, that's a decent space. It gives Jenny someone to be jealous of more directly than Brad. There's just more space to work off of. I think so. Yeah. And I think that would fill in that middle where people are reacting to things. Potentially. Let's have a different type of reaction to the same thing rather than like, oh no, we have to fix this. Wait, you also think we have to fix this? <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, like, it's like that's a, that's a pretty weird example, but <laughs> I, I hope they don't do it as straight as that. But. <laughs> no, but I, I think that that could that could help. The other thing I would do is just make the characters a little bit more charming. 
Mm -hmm. I I know I've said it so many times, but like I I just couldn't get over the fact that like Jenny's fine in like checks the checks the checks the boxes the entire list down, and I still just didn't care for her that much. Yeah, but on the whole, I think it's a very serviceable show. You know, it's very competent. Not going to turn this down. Yeah, and and I feel a little bit weird giving it the competent rating because I definitely am detecting in my own voice a note of dissatisfaction in calling it competent. Like I, I wasn't thrilled about it. Hmm. It wasn't. Uh, it didn't grab me. I I just kind of dissected it like a Doctor Wakeman would do, <laughs> and was like, yes, this is successful on these metrics. I still didn't enjoy watching it that much, but I I, I confess that it it is competent show. Mm-hmm. I I liked it quite a bit. I just knew where it was going. Yeah, I, I would have loved to have. I would have loved to have come to it sooner in life. Yeah, and that that's the tricky thing about our our job here is that like we can't get away from the fact that we did not watch this earlier on, so we don't have any nostalgia, which means that we have to tackle it from you know the biased perspective of having seen it all before. Yeah, yeah. That's that that's pretty tricky, especially from a creator whose stuff we have already seen and delved in depth on. Yeah. Well, Ben, speaking of having seen everything all before, Mm. what are we going to do next time? Well, Zane, next time we are doing uh, something that we do every year. We are running down for another Cartoni Awards. This is going to be our sixth annual Cartoni Award where we reminisce the shows that we have talked about in the past year and we rank them on a a variety of criteria, like which what show is horniest? Uh, I imagine that's going to be quite the contender this imagine, year. <laughs> I imagine that Yu-Gi-Oh is going to win that one, but we'll see. <laughs> it's um, not which but, show are you the most horny for. It's no, it's like I come on. Everybody knows the distinction between those, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, if if you in the grand tradition of these things, if you have any suggestions for what uh, what kind of categories you want us to kind of talk about, um, like what show had the most uh, inventive musical score, something like that. We can come up with a few categories. One of us will ask the questions. The other one will kind of rank them, and we'll see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. You can, If you do have any suggestions like that, you can go to our Facebook page and jot them down. You can go to our contact page at fancybat.com or cartoncast.com. Uh, go to our contact page and leave a comment. We have already gotten a couple of comments for potential categories, so Ooh. I'm excited to see if anybody else comes in with, the, with those, and we'll... We'll try to incorporate them in. It it saves us some work, and it's it's fun to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating or review, we'd really appreciate it. And more than anything else, please tell your friends about the show. Yeah. I was going to say something that came later, but I don't think we had anything ready. You were going to ask me what we were going to do next time. Oh, um, I, was, I, I decided not to. Well, up uh, to you what to do with that. Well, I don't. Necessarily Not my want problem to anymore. Do this, I don't want to do this next time, but I believe you've been pushing for us to watch uh, Beavis and Butthead Do America. <laughs> oh, is that the movie we're doing? That's the movie you recommended. I, I think it's appropriate because apparently they've just been announced that they're going to be giving it a reboot. Holy shit! Yeah, we should absolutely do that. We haven't dealt with Beavis. We haven't dealt with like a Mike Judd thing since uh, Daria. And it does count as a you know a classic thing uh, in its own way. It's just it, man, it's going to be hard for me to take a look at it. <laughs> I, I think that I'm really going to enjoy it, to be honest. I think I'm going to hate a lot it of, so much. What, <laughs> just Beavis and Butthead in general? Just that Gen, Gen X slacker mentality. Oh, yeah. I, I, get a lot of, I get a lot of energy out of that, so that, that, that'll work pretty good on me. I mean, like it'll be like watching Bill and Ted. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be great. But anyway, 
Um, that'll be a really nice palette cleanser. Bill and Ted is also getting a reboot. Oh, I mean, of course it is. No, well, they're getting a sequel. Well, <laughs> well, they're getting some clones. Kind of. Uh, yeah. They're they're getting they're getting ro- they're getting teenage robot butlers. Ooh. Oh, I'm sorry, daughters. That's kind of. I like bad. I like the conception of Bill S. Preston, Esquire, and Ted Theodore Logan, as actual like Miss Frizzle esque inventors. <laughs> robot fathers. <laughs> robot father. I like robot fathers. I think robot fathers is good. Dude, I I misread your text. I turned this Roomba into a bong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure that'll go fine. Yeah, that'll that'll be great. <laughs> but yeah, I th- I think that'll be a good way to do our movie, which we do on occasion. Mm-hmm. That'll be that'll be a good uh, palate cleanser for a new year. I am gonna need significant palate cleansers afterward. That is fine. Uh, the ball will be in your court. But uh, yeah, thank All you for right. listening, everyone. Um, what? How do we get out of this? We could teach the Roomba to feel love. I mean, do, does does the rest of the plot have enough space for that love to articulate? Well, yeah. Riddle me this thing. <laughs> how generic is the Roomba's friends? Well, I, I these put, questions need answers. I put googly eyes on the blender, so I think you know he's you ju- he's friendly. You, you only you only ask the question of if the Roomba could feel love, not if the Roomba had enough of a good uh, supporting cast <laughs> <laughs> to, to tell any competent stories with that love. As it turns out, probably doesn't. Did the hippies lie to me? Is love not really all you need? Does love uh, find a way? <laughs> God, no, let's get out of here. <laughs> Bye, everyone.